Peace be with you. Oh, so good to see you this morning. Um, happy Father's Day, dads. We clap for dads. Yes. Thankful for you. We are thankful for you. I don't have really any advice for you. I'm still trying to figure it out myself. Um, apart from this, I will say this. Um, dads, don't have a glorious Sunday gospel and not have a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday glorious gospel. Um, if you do that, you live that out in your home, in your private life, um, I assure you, you'll be, you'll be okay. You'll make it. Um, so that's my one and only encouragement for you. <laughs> um, and I will receive as much advice uh, uh, as, as, as I can. So, um, hey, we got a good topic today. Uh, as, as, as Mike noted earlier, we got a great topic, work. Um, and it's a good topic for Father's Day. Um, work, work, work. Because uh, dads, I know you're working a lot. Um, we're going to talk about a Christian view of work. Not that it just pertains to men. So believe me, I know that. Um, it certainly pertains to women in the room. To be clear, um, I, when I'm talking about work and when the Bible talks about work, we're talking about, we're really talking about everybody. It includes everyone. We're all workers. Uh, you know, when I meet people for the first time, which sometimes I'm not very good at, I overthink it. Um, but one of the things I always do, my pet peeves is I, I can't stand when, um, and it's okay if you, if you do this, but I, I don't like to ask people what they do for a living. I feel like it, people, it conjures up all this weird stuff for people. They, they either try to diminish what they do or they, or they exaggerate what they do or they defend their decisions and their circumstances. And so I just say, hey, what, what keeps you busy? That's my question. You can steal it because you're like, that's really good. Um, I keep, because, and I ask that, um, usually it relaxes people, it, it allows for honesty, and, and two, you know, uh, what keeps you busy is your work. Like, that's what I find, you know, what you are consumed with most of the time is your work, and the Bible would say that, I mean, the Bible would say that, and so, um, you know, think about it, whatever you're putting your hand and mind to a lot, whatever you're building or cultivating, whether it's a spreadsheet, a classroom, um, kids, a garden, a sick or elderly patient, a piece of art, like whatever you're putting your hands to um, is your work. And that's great. That's wonderful. The Bible commends that. We're workers. Um, work is not a result of the curse in the garden. Um, work existed in the garden previous to the, um, the curse. And so uh, we're made in the image of God and God is a worker. And so um, work is a good thing. And so the fact that we are workers, maybe, maybe vocational work, you know, paid work, is a result of sin. Maybe, big maybe. Uh, but work in and of itself is not a part of sin. Um, work is an okay and good thing. And so, um, now in light of that, um, before we read in Ecclesiastes, and we're going to be jumping around today some, um, do you enjoy your work? <laughs> do we do a raise of hands? Uh, Actually, I would say, like, if you're someone sitting here this morning and you're just super passionate about your work, the work that you currently have, this is probably going to be a discouraging sermon for you. <laughs> and if you, like, really hate your job or something uh, like that, um, I think, I don't know if I'll encourage you, but you'll receive this <laughs> in, a, in a much easier way. Um, so do you find any joy in your work right now? Can you find joy in it? Contentment, fulfillment. Um, Actually, what I would say is this. Does that question even matter to you? Like, should it matter as Christians, that question? 
So I think sometimes we carry this idea that now that doesn't matter. I'm a Christian. Jesus is going to return. He's going to, he's going to evacuate me to some heavenly realm where there's like streets of gold. No, wrong. It's just wrong. Like, it's, it's an immensely important question, particularly if you're connected to Jesus. Like what we do here and now, the work that we, uh, hopefully I'll show that to you in a little bit. Um, but it's a question that is deeply important. Um, it's, it's very much important to ask and to wrestle with this idea of work, of, of why work and how work. You know, those kind of questions are deeply Christian. The Bible um, thinks that those questions matter a lot. And as we've been studying the book of Ecclesiastes, um, it's a wisdom book, if you remember, and it's a question that he's very much concerned with, the preacher. That's kind of um, what we call him. That's he, the self-titled uh, name that he gives himself. He's the preacher. He's the one who gathers. That's what koheleth means. Um, and so uh, he is deeply concerned with it. Um, he asked the question at the very beginning. So if, if you've got a Bible, if you're a hard copy Bible person, open it to Ecclesiastes 1. Um, or you can turn uh, your Bible on if that's your thing too. And we're going to bounce around a little bit th- th- today, so bear with me. So uh, Ecclesiastes 1, verse 3, he, he kind of launches it, it, it right at the beginning. He says this, What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? This is his question. I mean, a lot of ways, it's like throughout the entire book, it's like work. He's, he's, he's thinking about work. Now, um, before we consider or we look at all his considerations of this question as as he's searching and he's kind of chronicling for you almost like a journal entry of what he's been discovering from seeking this question out. Before we, I would say this, before we unpack it all, remember uh, that he's kind of like a negative theologian, not a positive one, you know? Like, in other words, he's, he's got a very different approach to teaching and preaching to you than the rest of the Bible takes with you. He's not, he, he is not after making you feel good. He's just not. Um, so think of it this way. The preacher in Ecclesiastes, really the whole book of Ecclesiastes, is like an x-ray. It's not the medicine. You, you know what I'm saying? Like, you ever, so many of you have had an x-ray. I had an x-ray this winter. And it's like I went in to the emergency room. Had, don't worry, I'm fine. I'm fine. But I did. I went in. Um, my wife made me. And anyway, and like, you know, they kind of they cleared me that they were able to expose what was wrong with me. But they were like, you got to go to see a specialist. We can't fix you. And you, you, you read Ecclesiastes, and Ecclesiastes is a lot like that. Or, 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 or you could think of Ecclesiastes like um, if, you were, if you're driving somewhere and you're looking for, and let's say what you're looking for, your destination is fulfillment, meaning, purpose, great joy. And you're driving, and you, don't, and, and, and you keep turning down these different roads looking for it. Um, the preacher in Ecclesiastes is like a road sign at every turn you make going, it's not here. It's not here. And you're getting frustrated as you keep driving. Um, so that's how you read him. That's how you need to um, read this book. And so um, he does this with the topic of work. And I'll warn you, as I just said, he is, he is not very comforting. Like you just, I want you to know that up front. Like the, when you start to piece together like a, a little biblical theology of what the preacher says in this book on work, the topic of work, and you have to kind of bounce around in it, um, it is not very encouraging. <laughs> it's just, it's not. And that's kind of the point. That is the point. He offers wisdom for sure, but um, it, and he, he does offer some mild consolation. I mean, there, there is, but he, his goal is to expose and awaken you, awaken you to something. 
Like, in a sense, he wants you to become desperate. Um, that's really what he's doing, um, it, particularly when it comes to our, our human condition and the way we work. There's this really brilliant philosopher named Peter Kreeft. I don't know if he, he writes on the wisdom literature very well. He says, quote, Ecclesiastes is the one book in the Bible that modern man needs most to read, for it is lesson one. And the rest of the Bible is lesson two. And modernity does not heed lesson two because it does not heed lesson one. One. So he talks about, he's a professor, and he talks about how he doesn't start with the Bible when he teaches his students. He doesn't start in the Bible with Genesis, he starts with Ecclesiastes. It's interesting, isn't it? I, I hope to show you kind of why that is. Um, see, lesson one is, this, is that we attempt so many things in life for meaning and fulfillment and joy, but they're so fleeting at best and so discouraging and frustrating at worst. It's a paradox. Vanity. Smoke. It's like you just you try to get meaning out of this, and it, it, it eludes you. That's lesson one. And lesson two, of course, is the story of Jesus, and that Jesus changes everything. Like his life, his death, his resurrection, and the implications of that. I mean, it's, when you grasp it, it, it changes. It should change everything in your life. And it, it should be touching down into every crevice of, of, of your mind and your heart and what you put your hands to. Um, but I don't know. Here's what I would say. I would say that um, when I look at myself and I look at us as people and, and, and just with all honesty and humility to it, I, I don't know if we always believe it. Like I don't know if it's, it's like we claim, yes, J- Jesus, his life, death, resurrection, it changes everything. But then we look at our lives and I don't know. Like, it, has it sunk in? Um, I, I think I can uh, test us in it really quick. You ready? You want to test? A little acid test for this? I'm going to do something strange if, you're, if you come here often. I'm going to go right to the answer right now. You ready? It's Jesus. Shocker, right? Like, the problem in your work and you're not finding joy and contentment in it is that it's, it's, it's like, hey, we, we need Jesus. That's the answer. I'm going to go there right at the beginning. Um, it, this is fascinating. Um, if you turn to 1 Corinthians, you're, you're going to think, what is he doing? Because he's not preaching in Ecclesiastes. Um, if you go to 1 Corinthians 15, the famous part where Paul is doing this amazing essay on the resurrection. Bear with me for a second. So he's talking about the importance and the, of the implications of the resurrection. And he's walking you through it. Uh, it, 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 it is very brilliantly written and it's very thorough and he's just talking about how at the last trumpet when jesus returns we're going to be changed and like the imperishable um or the the perishable is going to take on the imperishable so like you're going to get these new bodies and this whole new thing is going to take place here on earth like here and and he's laying it on it's just shocking to him and he wants us to be shocked by it and then he he gives you a therefore about it like for the right now, if the resurrection is true, here's what this should mean. And this is what he says. He says, um, this is verse 58 of 1 Corinthians 15, after he's talked about death being swallowed up in victory and all this. And he says, therefore, my, bro- my beloved brothers, he says, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. That's amazing. 
I don't care what you're doing for your job or for your work, no matter what it is. The Bible is telling you, the New Testament is telling you, Paul is telling you, I promise you, in Christ, your work is not futile. It doesn't just matter right now and today, it, it matters in the future, forever. You realize how, how humongous that is, right? Now, I think sometimes we read that and we go, that's religious work. This, this always abounding in the work of the Lord. We think, oh, it's contrasting like secular work and then like what Pastor Matt does. No, wrong, wrong, right? Because the same guy, Paul, who wrote this, also wrote this in Colossians 3. Um, whatever you do, this is what he says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Whatever you do, who is your boss? Class, who is your boss? Jesus. Whatever it is. Think about that. No, seriously. Don't glaze, like, like isn't that amazing? I don't care if you take care of kids. I don't care if you're a plumber, an electrician, an accountant, a gardener. Like you take care of an elderly uh, parent or, or whatever it is. I don't care what your work is. You wake up every day. What this is saying is Jesus is your boss. That's unbelievable, right? I mean, think about how that changes things for you. It should change things for you. Like it's... Should you show up late? <laughs> like, that would be weird, right? Jesus, all right, but you're a grace guy. Like, the honesty that which we should work the, with the integrity? Like, if we're making a widget that is bad for people or the earth, we should probably quit? Right? Like, if you're doing predatory lending on, on the disadvantaged or the poor, you should probably quit. Like, these are all these things. Like, if you're a teacher, you should really, like, care about the dignity of the kid. Because Jesus does, right? I mean, it's, like, immense. And, and like, when, when, when you're attacked or you're overlooked in your work and it's really frustrating, I get it, it hurts. But then, like, for you, you're like, yeah, but I know who my boss is. Like, he sees this. Like, there's no way that it, doesn't, it shouldn't impact every ounce of what you're doing. Every minute of it. Being able to lay it down as well, like being able to say, this is enough. Because would Jesus commend workaholism? If you know anything about me and the things I've been preaching on rest, it's like you should know the answer to that. Of course not. He says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Rest. So these, th- th- this, this is unbelievable. I mean, it's just the most amazing thing I actually think we can think about. It should fuel us. It should shape the way we work and our daily tasks. Um, We should be the most honest, hardworking, but calm and gentle people. We should never backstab in the office or or over social media. We should never cheat people. We shouldn't be lying. Like Jesus is with us every step of the way in our work. We should be quick to repent when 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 we mess up. It's unbelievable. But here's the thing, I honestly, I don't think we believe it. 
I really don't. I don't think you're going to, you went to work every day this week, even if it was downstairs in the living room, thinking this way. You know? And we, 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 if we want to be wise people, we have got to start thinking this way. The preacher in Ecclesiastes will help you do that by really depressing you <laughs> about your work and the way you're currently treating it. I, here, look, so we'll just kind of go through them. This is Ecclesiastes 2, 18, starting in verse 18. He's, he's thinking, he's, this guy has done everything. He's built things, he's acquired wealth. It's unbelievable. He says, I, I hated, <laughs> I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he'll be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all of which I've toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This is vanity. It's futile. It's pointless. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil um, of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes... A person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by somebody else, right? Who didn't work for it. This is vanity. It's a great evil. What has a man, he repeats his question, what has a man or a woman from, from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath this sun? For all his days are full of sorrow. And his work is a vexation. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. So here's what he's doing, right? The preacher is talking to us. And think of of your work, whatever your hands are doing right now. um, And it's like work is a ladder, right? That analogy makes sense to us because we think of those in those terms, corporate ladder. But maybe you're not in corporate. But... um, so you're climbing a ladder. You're climbing a ladder in your job. You're climbing a ladder with your kids. You're climbing a ladder. You and I are doing that. He's at the top of the ladder, right? And he is looking down at you as you work and work and you work. And he's, he doesn't say, don't climb. That's not what he's saying. Uh, what he says is, stop for a moment. Think about this. What are you trying to get? That's what he's asking you. Why are you working so hard? That's his question. And he said, he's looking at you, and he's saying, you owe it to yourself to be honest. What is it that you're climbing for? And you, because you're just a, a, a reasonable, intelligent human being, you're, you're like, what in the world? Isn't it obvious? It's obvious. I'm trying to get what you have, right? And he would say, no, 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 it's not, it's not what you think. It's not, it's not going to fulfill you the way you think. And, and then you might say, you, you're sitting there and you're thinking, well, no, 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 that's not what I would say. I would say, no, I, I, I'm just after the paycheck. And he would say, no, you're not. No, you're not. Why are you so defensive all the time? Or, or why, are you, you know, why are you so angry when you get overlooked? Or why are you jealous of this person over here and what they have or don't have? It's, it's more than that. That's what he would say. He would say, no, you're, you're, you're really after meaning. You're after an identity. Maybe you don't say that about yourself, but y- you, know, you, you, you are. 
um, you're looking for purpose. You're looking for fulfillment. And he, because he would say this, he would say, you've got eternity in your heart. That's one of the phrases that he uses. And he's saying, and you can't explain it. Like you don't know where it comes from, but you are desperate to prove your little slice on this earth. Like, why are you taking up space here? You're desperate to prove it, to prove why and that you matter. That's what he's saying. Um, and then he, he is saying here that before you keep climbing, consider these things. Whatever you accomplish, realize that you're going to hand it off to somebody else. <laughs> so like if you own a company or whatever it is, like if you started your own little business, whatever it is, he's like, look, you're going to have to hand it off. You're going to have to hand it off to an, a successor of, of the company, or, or, or maybe it's not a company. Maybe it's just an estate or your wealth that you're building, and you're going to have to hand it off to your kids, or you're going to hand it off to some charity. And who knows what they're going to do. They may squander it. You have no idea, and you have no control over it. What does it really matter? And then um, he, he, he goes on, and he, he, he says this, um, uh, and you say, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not in this for the legacy. Maybe that's what you're thinking. I'm not in this for the money. I'm, I'm just working for the pure joy of a good life here and now. Like the, the, the work that I put my hands to is all about today and just enjoying myself while I'm here. I'm just a blip. I get it, Matt. I totally get it. This isn't about what I hand off into the future. I don't care that I'll be forgotten. I just want to live a good life every single day. Okay, fair enough. Um, well, he says, um, well, that's good. You should enjoy what you can. But trust me, life is unpredictable and work has a way of wearing you down most of the time. So as you build, maintain, and cultivate, maybe it's raising kids or whatever it is, raising up a small business, he says, you're going to suffer a ton for it. Your days are full of sorrow and vexation. You're going to have all these sleepless nights. I've worked jobs I hate, jobs I've loved, and this, um, this right, one right now that I'm doing right now is the best one I've ever had. Uh, but no work. There is not a single job. I thankfully have lived enough and done enough to know this is true. There is no work that you can find where you are immune from sorrow. Matter of fact, in my experience, what I have seen is people that, are the, that have the most sleepless nights are the ones that are doing what they're passionate about. Ask people that start their own business, doing what they love, and they will tell you they're stressed all the time. It's just true. Honestly, it's usually the people that work the jobs that they're the most passionate about are the ones that are always so tired, worn out. The more passionate you are, the more you get sucked in, the more you take everything so personal. And he's not done. If you haven't, some of you probably are like, this is depressing enough as it is, but he keeps going. This is Ecclesiastes 3. Let's go to chapter 3, looking at verse 16. He says, moreover... Uh, I, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness, and in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. And I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. And I said in my heart, with regard to the children of man, that God is testing them, that they may see that they themselves are just beasts. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beast, for all is vanity. All go to one place. All are from the dust. So he's talking about they're all going to the grave. And all are, all are from the dust, and to the dust they shall return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes up or the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth? So I saw that there was nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. 
Who can bring him to see what will be after him? Okay, now jump to chapter 4, looking at verse 1, and he keeps going. And again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun, and behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors, there was, there, there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. And I thought the dead, it, this is so depressing, and I thought that the dead who are already dead more fortunate than the living who are still alive. That's in the Bible. But better, even. He goes even one further, as if that's not dark enough. He says, but better than both is he who has not yet been and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. What is he doing? Isn't this a sermon on joy? Yes, it is. Bear with me. Realize that the preacher... um, has this honest view of the world from his vantage point. He's looking at the world. He has no view of Christ, okay? So when you read that and you're like, what is spirit? He just said, we're like dogs. We're like fluffy. And we just go into the earth and nothing happens. Isn't that the rest of the, the, rest of the Bible contradicts that? Yes. He has no view of Jesus. He's being honest about the world as it, he currently sees it. He's just like an empiricist. He's just taking it in, and he's just shooting you straight. He's speaking plainly. He knows that there is a God, but he can't explain what God is up to. Um, And when he looks at the world, he sees the world, probably like you and I see it, he sees it as deeply compromised, like deeply broken. You know, he's just not trying to be um, pretend or see the sunny side, like he looks at the workplace, at the home place, at every place you go, and he sees it as deeply, deeply flawed. Where can you go, he would ask you. Or better yet, what can you put your hands to or find a job where everything is Edenic? Like everything is the garden, pre-sin, pre-curse. Where can you go? Where can you go where you won't see backstabbing and cheating and lying? Where? Name it. That's what he's doing. He's challenging you. He's showing you there's a dead end everywhere. Stop pretending. That's what he would say. There's nowhere where you can go where it's perfectly fair, perfectly peaceful, perfectly encouraging. One of the things I feel very privileged in as a pastor and a preacher is that before I did this, I actually worked. I actually worked in the marketplace. I've had multiple jobs previous to when I went into ministry. It's very helpful for me. I know what many of you face. I've been in business and I've been in social work. I've seen a lot of things in my time. I've had a lot of different roles and a lot of different jobs. Not once did I ever, in in my various work, did I feel somehow shielded from cheating or lying, backstabbing, moments that seem unfair, moments where you're overlooked and someone else gets the position that you feel like you really deserve. I've seen and felt those things. And I'm not saying it was all bad. I'm just saying... um, and, and I met a lot of great people. I did, for sure. But the, but the preacher is poetically describing what you and I inevitably come across in this broken world. And that is that we are constantly comparing and competing with each other. And I don't care what you do for work. You're doing that. You are doing it. I'm doing it. You're doing it. We're all doing it. And we know it. And sometimes we're honest about that. Right? Like we're always, this is what he's getting at, that, that we, we mistreat each other all the time. It's a dog-eat-dog kind of world. No holds barred, right? 
Like it's tough out there. And, and by the way, it's just because uh, someone might go into ministry or someone might be in volunteer work, that doesn't eliminate it. I've done those things as well. I've been on boards where it's all volunteers and those people can be incredibly nasty. And jockeying for position and influence and platform. And then ministry, you think it's perfect in ministry? It's not. People still jockey for position, power, and influence. There's all sorts of people in ministry that are smuggling in all kinds of competitive, comparing nonsense even into their ministry. I've seen it and I've witnessed it. It's everywhere you go. Oh, and it's not like stay-at-home parents don't experience this. Are you kidding me? Can I get an amen? No, no, no one's willing to say that. (laughs) Go read the average mom blog, right? Go read the average mom blog and you will find that there are all sorts of ways that stay-at-home parents are prone to insidious competition and harsh judgment. Now can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you. The preacher's analogy is correct. Our working mentality tends to bring out what he's saying is beastly behavior. We're stressed, we're angry, we're bitter, unhappy, unfulfilled, constantly worried, and oftentimes really abusing each other and heaping all kinds of more burdens on ourselves, each other, and the world. What's going on inside of us? Does he tell us? Oh, he does, right? What's the reason? The preacher gives us his perspective. Chapter 4, verse 4, he's talking about all this crazy injustice, all this oppression, all this, all of it, and he goes, then I saw, I looked, that all toil and all skill, that's interesting, all work and all achievement is essentially the word he uses there, in work come from what? A man's envy of his neighbor. What? What? In context, he's talking about an envy that I think is rooted in insecurity, Insecurity about who you are and what you amount to. In other words, he's saying, uh, look, oh, you know why people treat each other the way they do, right? You know why they, they act like animals, don't you? You do know, right? They, they, they behave like animals. They mistreat each other. They, um, they rarely find joy and contentment in their work because they're, they've made work about gain and they've made it, they've made work their source of meaning, deep fulfillment, and identity. And so long as it's that, they tear at other people. What do you think about that? Is he wrong? You're like, no, he's right. And then just move. Next point. Think about it. Think it through. I think it's fascinating what he's getting at, actually, when you think through it. The way you work, whatever it is, says something about you. Like your work says something. It's telling a story. What's the story telling about you? And do you like it? Or if you're honest, can you, can you actually be honest? You, you worry about what the story is telling. And here's when you know you're worried about it. What do you do when you come up against somebody else that's better than you? Because you, you do, or you will. Maybe you're, you're too young right now and you just are like, I'm the best. Just wait. Like, someone is always going to be better at preaching than me. Like, someone is always going to sell the widget better than you. You, It will happen. Someone will clean their house better than you. They're they're going to, like, raise their kids better, and they're going to do a side hustle better than you. You're going to see it. What are you going to do? Someone is going to 
be able to sell their art for more money and they're going to get more appreciation for their art than you ever will. What will it do to you when you come across that? When you feel that moment where you're like, man, I have, I, I have met my match. <laughs> this person is just better than me. <laughs> they're smarter, they're faster, they're more efficient, whatever it is. Someone is always going to teach better than you, parent better than you, grandparent better than you. All of these things, you'll come to face them. And just then, <laughs> when you feel like, okay, what is this guy up to? He totally, he totally exposes us for who we are and how we compare and compete in our work. And then he concludes by giving you a riddle. You ready? After looking at all of this, and he goes, look, this is what we do with each other. This is what we do in our work. This is how we behave in our work. And then he says this, verse 5, he says, The fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. Better is a handful of quietness than two handfuls of toil, full of toil and a striving after wind. So, you get it. <laughs> you probably do mostly. It, it, it actually kind of makes sense what this little riddle is saying, what he's trying to, he's trying to commend something. He's actually just trying to be deeply practical for you in terms of how do you show up in work? How do you treat work? Um, how do you get joy? How do you get fulfillment out of work? These sorts of things. Um, he's wanting you to think through it, and um, it doesn't jump off the page because in Hebrew, there's three different words for hand. We only have one. In Hebrew, there's three words, and he uses three separate words there in the Hebrew to, to, to make a metaphor. So the first one, the folding of hands, is yod. It's, it's this, it, it, it actually means the tip of your fingers to your elbow, your forearm. And what does he say? He says the folding of them, didn't he? Well, what's the folding of your forearms look like? This is me in chemistry class in ninth grade. <laughs> Literally. And he was an awesome teacher. I'm not dogging him. It was all on me. He's saying, um, you look out of the world and you look at work and you see the rat race, okay? You see the moms that type the blog that you hate and you're like, I'm not participating. Whatever that means. I don't know what that means. But, or like you, you, you look at guys that, or, or, or women that slave away in corporate world and you're like, I'm not doing it. I'm leaving it. I'm not going to work. And what's he say? What's he say? He says, you eat your own flesh. What's that mean? It means you ruin your life. You ruin yourself. You never use your faculties, your talents. You just squander it. Why? Because you don't want to be like them. And so you just exit the game. You live for the Friday night. You work only, or you, you say, I'm just going to live retired now. Whatever that means. But that's not the only option before us, is it? What else does he say? Right? Two handfuls. Two handfuls. So, so the one person has no handfuls. They're just this. The other option is two. The word in Hebrew here means to do this. Squeeze. Like if you could see my knuckles like white. He's saying this. The other person does this. They go to work and they just squeeze and squeeze. They try to milk everything they can out of it. They try to squeeze more juice out of the rind than it'll ever give them. They're trying to get fulfillment, joy, meaning, purpose in their life. And they just go and they go and they go and they go. And he says what? It's futile. They're just stressed all the time. <laughs> right? 
They're mad. They're bitter. Right? They have heart problems. Whatever it is, they have sleepless nights. They're eating the bread of anxious toil, the psalmist says. He says, that's just, you know, exit the game. It's just, you're, you're, you're being a fool. And he says, you try, to, you try to find all your deep purpose in your work, whatever your work is. He's like, you're, that's futile. What are you doing? You won't find it. It's not there. So what does he commend? The space in the middle, right? The one hand. The, 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 the word in Hebrew for uh, one handful here that we translate, it's just the open part of your hand, the inside. So he's saying, when you work, work like this. So he says, engage. Work hard. But be open-handed about it and be relaxed. Because he, he, he says, one handful with quietness. Your translation may say tranquility, or your translation might say rest. So he says the, the, the wise way of working is to work with this open-handed, relaxed posture. I'm not trying to squeeze anything out of this job. And I'm totally engaged. I'm not going to quit. Think of work, your work, like playing a sport. Right? Um, and you're the coach of a team. The little kids, let's say. And the kids are going to go out onto the floor to play this game, and the other team is cheating. The other team is cheating like crazy, and the refs are in on it. They're totally in on it. And then um, at halftime, the, the kids come off the, the court or the field, and you sit down with them. What are your options? What are your options if you're the coach? You can say what? You can say, one, you could say, hey, we're quitting. We're not going to subject ourselves to this anymore. Get your stuff, get in the cars, go home. That's what you could say, right? That's option A. What's option B? Option B is you could say, cheat back. Throw elbows. Trash talk, right? You could do that. Or you could say, option C, you could say, hey, get back out there. Do not cheat. And we're not going to quit. And if the kid looks back at you and says, what? Maybe the kids look back at you and they say, coach, we're going to lose. What do you say? You say, likely you will. You will likely lose. Now the kid says to you, then why, then why do I do it? What's your answer? Do you see what the preacher's doing? Get out there. Work. Give your heart to it. Do your best. Don't cheat. Don't quit. Change why you play. Why are you doing it? That's what he's challenging you with. And he just leaves you there. <laughs> He just leaves you in that space. And it's hard. We don't know exactly what to do with it. I'll admit it. But this is what his point is to do, is to get you to a place where you reflect on it. You know, as, as Kierkegaard 
that said this, if I could prescribe just one remedy for all the ills of the modern world, I would prescribe silence. For even if the word of God were proclaimed in the modern world, no one would hear it. There is too much noise. Therefore, create silence. Ecclesiastes is the silence. It puts you in a posture and in a place to stop and think. Why are you playing the game? And how are you playing it? The preacher's wisdom shows us the limits of our labor. And I think if we can listen and reflect on what he's saying, maybe, maybe, just maybe, we'll look on the work of Jesus with fresh eyes. I gave you the answer already. The the New Testament gives you the remedy that the preacher in Ecclesiastes didn't have. Your labor's not in vain. It means something. You work for the Lord, but there's a way in which if you can really listen to everything he's saying, the, the, the preacher in Ecclesiastes, you can get to the place you can realize, oh my gosh, if I don't see myself as working in the Lord and for the Lord, this is absolutely futile. What I'm doing is foolish. It's temporary at best. This is all I have. It shows us that, that his death His resurrection in our place changes everything. It has to. It shows us that we weren't made for our work. Whatever that work is, no matter how good of a work it is, no matter how good we are at it, we were not made for our work. We were made to worship Jesus. Jesus is not eliminating our work. He's just changing why we play. He's changing why we work. The work, your job, if it's kids or spreadsheets or whatever, building something. I don't care what it is. Your work is not the place to find meaning. It's the place to express the meaning that you already have. That's the point. And that's what the Bible's trying to teach us. The meaning is Jesus. If I'm not seeing him as the goal, the purpose, the motivation behind whatever I put my hands to, I'll ruin myself. I'll waste my life. But he has loved us so much that he has stooped down Underneath the sun, the place that we are in, he has stooped down and subjected himself to the same madness that we have to face, the same ruthless competition. He has suffered immensely in the same compromised, broken world, and he has labored in it. And he has said to you, and he has said to me, if you labor in me, it will not be in vain. It will transcend all of time. Do you realize that the only work that will transcend time is the work that you do for Jesus? And I'm not talking about ministry in the church only. I'm talking about when you wake up and you go to work tomorrow and you are honest and you are gentle when somebody else is harsh. When you turn your cheek when you are slandered. When you choose to be generous and hospitable, even when someone doesn't deserve it. When you choose to forgive and overlook a wrong, Jesus is saying all that work, no matter what it is. Even, you know, Dorothy Sayers that said, there was no bad table that ever came out of Nazareth. If you think that, you're silly. He always did his work with integrity because he knew that kind of work in the Lord, in God, would transcend time. Your labor is not in vain, whatever it is. How does this not give you joy? <laughs> the whole world is slaving away, pretending that somehow work justifies them. And they're anxious and stressed and insecure and quick to accuse, quick to cheat, quick to fight. And they're just heaping up more and more burdens 
upon themselves in the world. And Jesus says, make your work about me and you will work with rest. There will be hard times, yes, but you, you'll work with ultimate soul security, knowing that he is with you every step of the way. He'll make it all right in the end, no matter what you face. That will transcend time. I don't know where that leads you to today. I don't know if that means. I honestly, as we take communion today, I, listen, I don't know. I humbly and honestly say this to you. I don't know what this means for some of you. Maybe you need to get a new job. Maybe you need to quit your job. I don't. That's for you to process and work out. You know, there's so much freedom here. God is not specifically telling each one of us that we have, what kind of work we have to do. There's just a ton of freedom. I would just say this. Learn to make your work about Jesus, and I promise you, you'll find meaning in that. You work apart from Jesus, I promise you, you will never be fulfilled. I promise you. This wafer at the top is Jesus' body broken. This juice below it is Jesus' blood shed for us. This is where our meaning comes from. I, I'm deeply encouraged that I've got this kind of thing to be stable in. Work is fleeting. My mind is fleeting. My body is fleeting. Life is fleeting. Jesus is not. Please remember that. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you. May we as a community learn to work in such a way where we're not trying to win. We're not trying to squeeze everything out. We're simply trying to work with wisdom, work with love in the way that you have done. Show us how. Continue to prune and work with us. It is your great love that shapes the way that we work. May we have such an imagination for it such an honesty, such a humility and a courage for it. So help us this week as we step into our work, thinking of you every step of the way. Thank you for your son and the work he's done on our behalf. It's in his name, Jesus' name, that we always pray, amen.